0: Thank you for listening to the All Souls Church Sermon Podcast. We are a counter-formational community devoted to following Jesus together in real life. For more information, go to allsouls.church. All right, good morning. Uh, We're going to now look into this text, which is about the second coming. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to tell you about something that is coming up here in our church. So as we look towards uh, this next month or so, Uh, You probably know this, first of all, we're kind of restarting as a church. This is a a historical church that we're restarting and we're building up. And so it's uh, post-COVID, slower going than we ever anticipated. But we are, I, I am excited about the things that God is doing. I'm excited about the fact that we do have this small church, that we know one another, that we're getting to know one another, and that uh, that God is doing work among us. Uh, even though it's a, a smaller church, I think there's something beautiful about us all connecting in that way. And so, first of all, praise God for that. <clears throat> second, a while back, you know, we had our kind of soft opening where we uh, kind of just began opening up as All Souls Church, well, in uh, January, we're going to have kind of more of a public opening, and it's where we're gonna invite uh, people from the community. And so we've been trying to get things in a row as much as we can, uh, and then we're going to begin inviting the community sometime here soon at the beginning of January. So what I wanna do is this. Uh, Starting December 1st, we have 40 days until the uh, the kind of the public opening of our church. And what I want us to do together is take 40 days during this Advent, Christmas, and New Year's season, take 40 days of prayer and begin praying about what God will do uh, in the future. Uh, One of the first things that I want you to begin praying about is you probably noticed we roped off the back row. In fact, we just moved the back row forward. That's all we did okay but one of the things that we would like to do is have to move those ropes at some some point And we want to move those ropes because people are coming to hear the good news about God and about His forgiveness and His love. And so one of the things I want you to be praying about as we start this uh, 40 days of prayer is I want you to be praying that God would bring the people that He wants to reconcile to Himself and save and that our church would uh, begin reaching those folks. And so please begin praying. On December 1st, I'm going to be sending out an email. So if you're on the email list, you're going to get this. Uh, kind of giving some direction for this 40 days of prayer. And then throughout the 40 days of prayer, I'll be continually giving direction, asking you to pray for specific things and, giving Bible verses that kind of support our, our, our vision and our mission. And so uh, December 1st, up until our opening, 40 days of prayer, and that's coming soon. And that's going to be during Advent, Christmas, and New Year. So it's a good time for us to be thinking about these things. As we're thinking about the second coming of Christ during Advent, as we think about the first coming of Christ at Christmas, and then as we move into a new year, this is a good time to kind of begin thinking and praying uh, about all of that. And so uh, that's going to be coming soon. And uh, now let's go ahead and get into the sermon. Alright, so uh, Matthew 24, Joy to the World, uh, is, is our, kind of our new series, is the Advent series. The song Joy to the World is actually an Advent song. The difference between Advent and Christmas is this. Advent is the season that leads up to Christmas, where we think about the second coming of Christ in anticipation. To Christmas were the first coming of Christ. So during this whole season, we're meditating on who God is and His power and how He will come and return and reconcile us and, and make the world as it's supposed to be. And then we celebrate at Christmas the fact that He came the first time, uh, knowing that He'll come the second time. So let's go ahead and uh, pray and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, we uh, lift our hearts, we lift our minds up to you, and we ask God now that you would fill us with the Spirit and give us eyes to see and ears to hear what is in the text of Scripture. And Lord, um, reveal to us your truth, reveal to us your heart, uh, and allow us to take great hope in the fact that you're coming back. We pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so, uh, Joy to the World is the the name of this series in Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, because when joy will come to the world is at the second coming of Christ. Right now, we live uh, in this time period which is filled with brokenness. There's a lot of beauty, but there's also a lot of brokenness, as you know. And the brokenness uh, is is... we're very aware of it right now during the pandemic, during uh, you know, all of the divisions, all of the craziness going on in our culture. And that is because this world is cursed. We're told in the beginning of Scripture that the curse came into the world because of human choices and human sin and that God is going to bring uh, redemption. So that's really the whole story of the Bible, that God is going to fix what we Broke. And in the song Joy to the World, there's this line that says that the gospel will be preached as far as the curse is found. The effects of Jesus will come as far as the curse is found. Now, finally, when that will happen is at the second coming of Christ. And so we're going to be looking at the second coming of Christ today, as you saw in the reading. But first, I want to ask you a couple of questions as we kind of get into it for your own personal thinking about the second coming of Christ. First, how do you feel about our world right now? How are you doing in our world right now? I think many of us are, are feeling the effects uh, of sin. And many of us are feeling uh, the pain. Many of us are feeling suffering. Uh, the world is insane right now. The world is broken right now. And it, really, it's always been broken. But there are certain times of intensity, and we are definitely in one of those times of intensity intensity in our society and beyond just the fact of what's going on in our world the truth is this that everyone is suffering everyone to one degree or another everyone is suffering and what happens is is we sometimes feel like we're alone in this that i'm suffering and everybody else seems to be doing really good but the fact is in a broken world we're all dealing with suffering we're all dealing with the effects and brokenness of this world and um so then if we're all suffering, we need to ask the question, how does Christianity make a difference? How does Christianity make a difference in, 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 my, in the suffering and the brokenness of the world? Uh, what is our hope? Now, for a lot of people, their hope is, well, you know, I'm going to get a better life. And so they get it in their mind. Uh, I'm going to get a better life. Things are going to be better for me. There's going to be some point down the road where I'm going to get everything together and then life is going to be better. And people who live like that just keep living under that illusion and never actually find uh, the the peace that they're looking for because they're looking for it in, you know, this possibility of some better life, some version of life that's going to be better. And and of course, things can be better or worse, but the reality is in the fallen world, (laughs) things don't just get better like that. Uh, some, some of us might be thinking, oh, you know, when I get to retirement or when I get to some vacation or when I get to a certain place in my career, that will be the thing that will kind of get me out of this funk and, and give me hope. Uh, some other preferred future. Or maybe a lot of times, you know, people, it'll be some vision for the United States of America. Then if we can get this guy in office and these things happening and then everything will be right. And the reality is that never works either. Uh, a lot of times we'll look to a relationship or a series of relationships and we go, man, once I get that relationship, once I get that friendship, once I meet this person, then I'm going to be okay. But the reality is all of those things, even once we get a bit of those things, we're still left with the brokenness. So what is the Christian hope? Well, the Christian hope is not in any of those things. Some of those things can be very good. There's nothing wrong with many of those things, but the Christian hope is not in any of those things. The Christian hope is what we just confessed in the Apostles' Creed, the part that says, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Our hope is that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, when you think of a judgment, don't think of like he's just going to bring judgment and punish people. Think of he's going to bring justice He's going to bring, he's a right judge, and he's going to bring a right judgment, and he's, this world is going to be in the way that it's supposed to be at his return. And our proof of his return is his first coming. In his first coming, he came to Love us, forgive us, teach us, live a perfect life for us, die on the cross for us. He rose again for us. And in his resurrection, he promises to give us the spirit. And he says, one day I will return. So we look back at his first coming and we say how faithful he's been. And then we go, okay, well, what will his second coming be like? And his second coming is actually what we're all longing for. Because in his second coming, this world will be made right. Things will be as they're supposed to be. The brokenness will disappear, the the sorrow will disappear because he will bring justice. He will come to judge in the right way. So uh, when we think about the time period from Jesus' second coming to after Jesus' second coming, uh, it's it's a word that, uh, probably a new word to you, but it's a word that theologians use, it's called the eschaton. So this is the the, after Jesus' second coming and everything that happens after it is called the eschaton. It's the final event in the divine plan that brings in the fullness of God's kingdom. So we are all waiting for the eschaton. So here's my main point today, and then we're going to get into it. My main point for you, the takeaway, the take-home point is this. Lean into the eschaton. Lean into what is coming. Live your life leaning into the future reality of the kingdom. Don't live your life for just what is here and now. The Christian hope is future. We're, we're here and now we have God and He's with us, but our, our hope is ultimately what is coming in the future at Christ's comes. So lean into the eschaton. Now let me show you a couple of verses of scripture what the eschaton is going to be. <clears throat> it's going to be up on the screen. And it's from Revelation uh, at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21. And this is a description of heaven. So when we talk about Jesus' second coming and leaning into the eschaton when Jesus comes again, this is what we're leaning into. This is what we're hoping in. This is where our hope lies. Listen to this. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the first thing about heaven is this, is that God is there. And he when, and in his presence, we everything that concerns us, everything that frustrates us, is going to disappear. And God is there in that place. And he it says he's going to uh, be with us. His dwelling will be with us, and we will be with him. In other words, the way in which we will dwell with God will be face to face in perfection without any pain, without any sin. Listen to what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So this is what we're longing for, this day at the return of Christ when all pain will disappear. Jesus will return to this earth. He will set his kingdom up on this earth. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God, and peace will reign on the earth everywhere. Everything that frustrates you will be gone. Everything that makes you sad will be gone. Everything that, uh, you know, when we think about the injustices and the pain in the world and and people that are going through uh, atrocities across the world, that will be gone. That day will be glorious. Listen to verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So this is Jesus saying, in his second coming, he's going to make this world completely perfect and new. And he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So at the second coming of Christ, God will be with us, and this world will be his the place where he reigns as king over the entire world and everything will be as it ought to be. So this is our longing. When we we talk about leaning into the eschaton, like I just said, we're leaning into this hope, this future reality where things are what they're supposed to be, what we long for them to be. Now I want to read you another picture of heaven really quick before we get into this text. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nation. So there will be perfect healing of everything that is broken. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and he will reign forever and ever. So this is is the Christian hope. The Christian hope is heaven. The Christian hope is being with Jesus. The Christian hope is a world that is perfect. And what Christians know is that until he comes back, this world will not be perfect. There is no future human utopia coming because we figure it all out, or we get the right guy in office. or There is no future human utopia coming made by man. It's not possible. It will never happen. The only hope we have is that final return of Christ where there will be peace on earth. And until then, we lean into that reality living in this broken reality. So we accept the fact that we're living in this broken reality and we lean into the future, okay? Now, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in this text because, you know, the disciples want to ask him about the, uh, the end and what's it, what's it going to be like and And uh, Jesus gives this bleak picture of what the end will be like, what the time between his first coming and his second coming will be like for Christians. He gives a bleak picture, and there's a lot of suffering. And he says, we're we're not living for this moment. We're not living for this time. We're leaning into something that is coming, something that is future, something that is beautiful. I remember when I was uh, six years old, I lived in Bakersfield, California, and I was riding my bike on Stein Road, and my parents had taken me to church a few times, and I remember one particular Sunday school lesson that I heard, uh, there was uh, like a felt board and like all kinds of like pictures and stuff like that. that you know, the the teacher kind of walks you through. And I remember there was this one picture of the second coming of Christ, and that you know he's going to come back. And there was like clouds and sunbeams coming through the clouds, and everything was going to be made right. And they were talking to us about heaven. And I remember even as a little kid, you know, I didn't become a Christian until I was 20, but I remember at six years old going, uh, "Wow, that that uh, th- there was something intriguing." something that pulled me towards that. so I was out there riding my bike and it was kind of a, a day where there had been some rain and, um, and the, the, the sun was coming through the clouds and there was all these beams coming through the clouds. I remember at six, I remember that picture and I, I said, it's happening, he's coming right now. So I got on my bike, I ran, went home, I ran into the house, I said, Jesus is coming. Jesus, I ran around the whole house telling everybody Jesus was coming, and I brought everybody outside. And I pointed at the sky and said, "See." So my vision was, uh, you know, that, that once there's sunbeams coming through the clouds, it's on. Jesus is here, right? And but I, that that celebration, that in, in, that anticipation that I had at six, is how Jesus wants to think about His coming. To, to live with that kind of longing that things will be set right at some point and everything will be as it ought to be. So, when Jesus is here talking to the disciples, they come to him and say, Jesus, uh, you know, look at this temple. It's so beautiful. And Jesus, in typical fashion, goes, Well, not one stone is going to be left uh, of this temple. Everything is going to be torn down, everything's going to be thrown down. And, and they're like, Okay. So, they go over to the Mount of Olives which is right outside of Jerusalem. And by the way, the Mount of Olives is the place where the Old Testament tells us Jesus will return. So now he's about to give a sermon on his return in the place that he's going to return. So they go over to the Mount of Olives, and they say, Jesus, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? Now, um, Jesus answers the two questions that they ask. First, when will these things be? When is the temple going to be destroyed? Second, what will be the sign of your coming? And he takes these two things and he pulls them together because there's similarities in the destruction of Jerusalem, which he's about to mention, and the second coming. The destruction of Jerusalem we know happened in AD 70. The Romans came in, destroyed the whole city, literally tore the temple down, and so Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled. But Jesus says this, that moment, that time, that brokenness is a picture of what's going to happen when I return finally to set up my kingdom. There's going to be uh, an intense period of suffering, and then there's going to be peace on earth. Okay? So uh, as, he's, as he's teaching them this, uh, he says this in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So the first thing is this. Jesus begins talking to them about the end times. Now, the end times, we usually think of the end times as like some, uh, you know, point right before the return of Christ, where things get super intense. And that is part of the end times, and that is a reality. But really, when the Bible talks about the end times, it's talking about the time between Jesus' resurrection and return. So Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of the end times. The gospel is going to be preached throughout the earth, and as the gospel is being preached throughout the earth, there are going to be these things that Jesus talks about as realities among God's people. There's going to be suffering all the way up until his return. And one of the ways that suffering is going to come, as Jesus mentions it here, is through false teachers. False teachers are going to come along and say, I'm the Christ, and lead many astray. So he's saying there's going to be all kinds of religions that will rise up. There's going to be uh, versions of Christianity that will rise up that are not centered on Jesus. There's going to be uh, versions of Christianity that will rise up that will be oppressive to people and be false and lead people astray. And so he's saying, watch out. There will be false teachers who will come. And it has been true since the resurrection of Christ, and we're still not to his return, there have always been false teachers teaching false things, and leading God's people astray. All you have to do is turn on the TV and watch one of those religious channels and almost every guy on the TV is a false teacher, not all of them, but usually they're after your money. Um, And so Jesus' prophecy has been true over and over and over again throughout the history of the world. So one of the things he says as we're waiting for the return is, pay attention because there will be false teachers. How do we know? what a false teacher is versus a true teacher. Well, the Scripture is, is God's Word. When you have a teacher that is teaching you in line with what the Scripture says and, and showing you Jesus, then you're probably safe. But when you have teachers that are not teaching what the Scripture says and actually twisting things and using it for oppression and power, you know that there's, that, that is false. But there's going to be many false teachers, and that's been true Uh, throughout the ages. Now look what else will happen leading up to the end times. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So he says, during the end times, from Jesus' first coming to the second coming, resurrection to the second coming, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines. There's going to be brokenness. Now, I don't know about you, but I often feel like why, like it's take, life is taking a long time. Like Life is painful, and it's taking a long time. I didn't think, used to think that way, but now that I'm about to be 45, I'm like, man, it's taking a long time. Okay? Um, and the, one of the things about the life that, that makes it feel so long is the suffering. It, you know, the, like Jesus says, there's wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. and You look at all that's going on in the world and man, and you go, it just keeps happening. The suffering keeps happening. Then you look in your own life and you go, I'm suffering. I'm hurting. How much longer? So Jesus gives us all of this to tell us it will be hard. He gives us a picture of the eschaton, the future, and he says, it's coming. There's going to be a a day of peace. But right now, it will be hard. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel the suffering of this world, and I feel my own frustration in it, and I'm just like, Lord, I'm so tired. How come this is taking so long? I'm so tired of the suffering. Why are you allowing all the suffering? And then when I read this this week, I just went, oh, he told us. This is the way that it's going to be. And it's not going to be healed until he returns. And so what, one of the things I'm talking about when I say lean into the eschaton is this. You have to know that there will be pain. There will be suffering. And what gives you hope is nothing here, but it is what is coming. If you can keep pressing in and leaning towards what is coming, it will give you courage to face the moment that you're facing right now. He talks about wars and nations, rising against nations, all all of these things will happen. And he says, these are just the beginnings of the birth pangs. So the beginning of the the suffering, it's just, uh, the the second coming of Christ is going to be preceded by lots of suffering, is basically what he's saying. Now, I don't know about you, I like to travel, okay? And... um, my favorite kind of travel is international travel, going to a different country, a different place, and just exploring and seeing the whole thing. Uh, something about it, just the, the escape, the, the, the different place, all of it. I love, I love to travel, especially international travel, but here's the problem with international travel. Everything it takes to get there, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but um, packing, I hate packing. You know, I don't know what the right things to pack are. You never bring all the right stuff. Maybe you bring too much, too little, whatever. Packing is, is is rough. Airports, I hate airports. I hate standing in lines. I hate going through security. I hate the whole process of it. I hate how, like, if they're late, it's, oh, well, you just got to roll with it. If you're late, well, you missed your flight, you're done. Like, I hate the whole process, the, everything about it. I hate the... Uh, of course the lines, but you know what I really hate? You ever get stuck in the middle seat and you got an armrest hogger? Don't we all know that if you're in the middle seat, you automatically get the armrests? If you don't know that, your pastor just told you so you could be a better human being. Because there are horrible human beings that hog the entire thing, okay? Uh, They have no right to it. But then there's also the annoying people. There's the guy that gets on the plane, you know, and he's like having a full-on conversation as loud as possible so everybody has to hear it. Or a group of people traveling together that just don't care that there are other people around. Like I could go on my griping and complaining about travel, right? Um, Selfish people, you know, when the the plane stops and people try to rush up the aisle to get out first? I'm like, I always like throw an elbow or like just kind of like get in the middle of the road. Like, oh, you know, you're not getting by. I know that's probably not pastoral and nice, but I'm trying to protect the other people around me. My point is this uh, you know, everything from the selfish people to the tiny restaurants, the aching lakes, by the way, there is a conspiracy theory they build nothing for tall people, okay? Those tiny little seats are miserable. The delays, Go to another airport, go through customs, go through baggage cleans, get out of the airport. You have to figure out how to get to your hotel. You get to the hotel, then you've got to stand in another line, and then you got to wrangle the whole thing. But then you're there. And once you're there, it's like, all right. We're, like I went to Rome one time. I'm in Rome. It's worth it. Think of your time right now as the travel part. It's rough People are selfish. It's irritating. There are armrest hoggers everywhere, right? But we're going to get there. We're going to get there. That's the Christian hope. the, uh, The Christian hope is not in the travel process. The Christian hope is what is at the end of the travel process. And we're on our way to be with him. So look what he says in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. As a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. So the gospel of the kingdom uh, is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. When we talk about what is the gospel, well, there are four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the gospel. And what he does is the gospel, his person and his work. And so uh, we, this gospel of Jesus is going to be proclaimed in the whole world. That's what he says. And then the end will come the gospel of the kingdom. He is the king, he's going to bring his kingdom. So it's not just, the gospel is not just that he lived for us, died for us, rose for us. That is the core of the gospel. But the gospel is also, he is going to return to make all things as they ought to be. He's going to return to make everything new and his kingdom will come here. And he will reign as king on earth and everything will be as it ought to be. That's our hope. And so we proclaim that hope you see what he said? This gospel will be proclaimed. It is our job as the Christian church to proclaim that gospel. Now think about it. We're in this city with like millions and millions and millions of people, and we got this tiny little church. But here's the reality. It is our mission to proclaim the gospel. The size of our church does not matter. The size of our influence does not matter. Our job is to proclaim, the reason why you live here in Los Angeles County is because God has sent you here to be one who proclaims the truth of the gospel. To be one who is part of the church that is a picture of the reality of Jesus' resurrection. One of the reasons we know that Jesus rose again is, look at this, there's people here worshiping, believing in him. The church is a sign of the kingdom that is coming. And so the church proclaims this, and he says, once it's proclaimed in the whole world, then the end will come. Now, what exactly that means, we don't know. But we know that it is our job, if we want to see the second coming, we need to proclaim the gospel. We need to share the gospel. We need to be the presence in the city that is reverberating the gospel into the city. So then he, he goes on, and, and for sake of time, I'm just kind of kind of moved through this. He he um, he says that there when you see the abomination of desolation, now uh, what this is referring to is some event at the end where you know, likely the Antichrist, uh, which is a great figure at the end that leads people astray, will set him up in, himself up in the temple, which is the church. So there's going to be some kind of false person at the end that will set himself up in the church. The picture of this was in right after Jesus' day. There was a guy named Antio- Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Seleucid guy, and he uh, worked with the Greeks. And he came in, and he took over the temple. He tore it down, and then he set up in the temple an idol to Zeus. And then they sacrificed pigs to Zeus inside of the temple. And so it was referred to as the abomination of desolation, when the the temple was desecrated. Now, Jesus is saying the temple now in the future will be the church. And there will be people, there will be a person, there will be people that will set themselves up inside the church to lead God's people astray. And he says, when that comes, there's going to be all kinds of issues. There's going to be all kinds of problems. People are going to want to flee to the mountains. People are going to want to run away. So there is this like intense period at the end that culminates the end times. But it's also a picture of everything that happens from the resurrection to the return of Christ. There's always going to be people that will set themselves up in the church to lead people astray. And the one way that you know whether the somebody is leading others astray, is are they speaking from this text? Are they speaking about Jesus? Or are they speaking about themselves? But Jesus promised this would happen. He promised suffering would happen until he comes. He promised there would be false teachers. He promised there would be uh, people who would set themselves up in the church to lead the people astray. And he also says this, there will be times where people will say, uh, look, the Christ is way out in the wilderness. Let's go out to the spiritual retreat and get all of our answers uh, other people will say, no, it's in this secret room where only us, only our little group understands and knows. And Jesus says that the return will not be like that. His return will not be secret. It's going to be known by all. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So uh, if there is lightning, let's say in Long Beach you can see the lightning over here in Burbank. If there's lightning in Orange County, you can see from the distance the lightning over in L.A. The the lightning you can see from multiple angles from all across because it's coming from such a height. In other words, Jesus' return will be like that. Everybody will know. Everybody will see it. It will be absolutely clear. There won't be like, oh, well, maybe he's out in the wilderness, or maybe he's in this secret room, or maybe, you know, it's going to be absolutely clear. He uses this illustration. He says where the vultures gather. The corpse is wherever the vultures gather. Whenever you see, you know, the vultures up there doing their thing, you know there's a corpse. Whenever you see Jesus up there and he's coming down like lightning, you'll know the time has come. So don't be worried that you'll not that you'll miss it somehow or you won't see it somehow. What you need to be focused on right now is putting your hope and your faith in Christ and leaning into the fact that he will come to make all things new and to make all things right. And this is, uh, this is how we live now in this time. So we will have trials. So, you know, when you get frustrated because you're going through trials and in pain, Just know that Jesus promised until his second coming there will be trials and pain, that things are not going to work out the way that we want them to. And you know, the writer of the Hebrews says this, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In other words, he says we lean into the eschaton, we lean into the future hope that is coming. And when he comes, every eye will see him and everything will be made perfect, good, Holy, everything that is broken about this world, there won't be any more starving people. There won't be any more wars. There won't be any more broken families. There won't be any more cancer. No more death. No more tears. No more loneliness. Everything will be as it ought to be. This is the Christian hope, to lean into this eschaton, when he comes back, he will come with power and authority. Everyone will bow. He will bring peace on the whole earth. He will take away weapons and war. All sickness and injustice and evil will cease. We will never sin again. And we'll never feel the effects of sin again. The harm that people have done to us or the harm that we have done to other people will be with him forever. So I want to read you one last passage of Scripture from Revelation 22 as we finish up. It says this. This is Jesus talking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter by the city gates outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and the morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. We long for his coming. We're leaning into the eschaton. We're leaning into that day. We're hoping for that day. This is what it means to be a Christian, to lean in to the eschaton. Let's pray. Lord, give us the courage to not have our eyes on this moment, uh, but instead have our eyes on the moment that you return. And let us live in light of that return, that you will come and bring peace on earth that you will come and make us whole. So we wait in this Advent season. We wait, and we say to you, come, Lord Jesus. We long for your kingdom to rule over this earth. Until you come, make us faithful. Until you come, give us courage to preach your name. Until you come, Lord, allow us to set our hope on the glory that will be revealed to us at your coming. In 1 Corinthians, we're told, when we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the Christian church's job is to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We preach Christ and him crucified. That's our message. And it's not just our message to the world. It's our message to each other. And it's our message that we need to preach to ourselves. So we take the Lord's Supper in anticipation of his coming. And this will be the supper that God's people eat until he does come. When he does come, we're going to eat a supper with him. But until he comes, we take the Lord's Supper in anticipation of that time. And in the Lord's Supper, we see the picture of the gospel. We, the bread represents Jesus' perfect life that he lived, and the cup represents his blood that he shed to forgive our sins. So every time that we take the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating him until he comes. If you are a Christian, we're going to do that in just a moment. If you're not a Christian, just know that you can come to our church as long as you want without becoming a Christian. Uh, but when you become a Christian, there are a couple things you will do, be baptized, but also take the Lord's Supper. But until then, uh, I would just ask that you ask God if he's there, if he's real, and just stay in your seat while the Christians take the Lord's Supper. If you are a Christian, let us rise as we will in the resurrection and go to the table of our